my name is Will Cody. If you're new here or visiting, I'm a uh, campus pastor at Austin P. State University, or RUF, which is the, the college ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. So today, you can turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen. It's going to be um, in your Bible as well. You can follow along. Uh, we're going to read from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and hear what God has to tell us from this letter. It was written by this guy named James, and he's a leader in the early church, and he is the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. It's kind of wild. We've been calling this book from James the Book of Trials because it's filled with, it starts out talking about trials, and then it's filled with all of these trials that are meant to mature and test our faith, to make it stronger, to make it more, uh, to be able to persevere. And it's meant to mature our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The the trial today, we might could call this trial the trial of faith, and we'll read and hear from God's word right now. Let's turn there. Okay, starting in verse 14, James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited, counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of God stands forever. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we ask your help. We ask that you would open our eyes open our ears so that we can hear the good news of this text and that we would be set free to love you and serve you and do whatever you ask us to do and all this to your glory and we ask this in jesus name amen so i know that most of my opening illustrations are either a youtube video or me doing something stupid this is the latter one <laughs> so i moved to uh to korea in 2007 uh, after finishing college to teach english and I started attending one of those big mega church, super mega churches. Uh, it's called Young, uh, Young, Young Ad? Is that right? They're a big mega church in, in Seoul. And uh, they're kind of famous for these huge mega super ch churches. Um, and there was a smaller English ministry that I was a part of that I started attending. And I started um, serving there by helping them to, and this is 2007, and I'd help them to um, edit and upload the video onto the internet. It's cutting edge technology back in 2007. So that people could watch it online. Um, so I would take one of the church's laptops right after church, and I would um, do some quick editing and then upload it to somewhere. I don't know how it 
Okay, good. I just did what they told me to do. Now, um, this is still a megachurch. It's a smaller English ministry, but it's still a megachurch. So there are people coming and going. I didn't know who was who. There's just lots of people I didn't recognize always hanging around. And one Sunday, this guy, he looked kind of familiar. I, uh, I forgot his name, but we'll just call him Joel. Joel comes up to me, and he's like, hey, I'm going to need that computer when you're done with it. Just give it to me when you're done. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm, you must work here. Or you act like you work here. <laughs> or you must be a volunteer here. So I, when I was done doing my thing, I found him out, and I said, hey, Joel, here's the computer. And he's like, thanks. And I was like, all right, good job, Joel. <laughs> a couple days later, though, I, the pastor of the English ministry, he, I saw him, and he was like, hey, Will, um, can I have that laptop back? that uh, you, you used for the editing? And I was like, I gave it to Joel. He told me to give it to him. And I saw him just kind of deflate when I mentioned Joel's name because apparently Joel had just been hanging around. He'd asked the church for money. Um, he'd gotten some money from, him, from the church. And I realized that what happened was he had stolen his laptop. He tricked me. I got completely tricked by this guy. He got money from the church. He's been hanging around, acting like he belonged there. Totally tricked me. I was so naive. So Joel, they deceived, poor naive me. And we never saw him again. We never saw the computer again. Who knows where Joel is now with his computer? It wasn't even that great of a computer. I don't know why he stole it. So I thought he was volunteering or something. He was acting like it, but I was completely deceived by him. Now, James, in our text, he doesn't want for his readers to be deceiving themselves, thinking that they are what they aren't, or thinking that they have something that they don't. The thinnest veneer of acting like you belong, which Joel did to me, was enough to very much trick me. Don't ever try to trick me. It was very easily tricked. But James's main point, and we'll talk about this some more, uh, and there's a lot of other stuff that we're going to talk about, but James's main message here is for those who think that they are Christians, they think that they are saved, but their actions or their lack of actions prove otherwise. Um, James is talking to this church, this, this church community, and apparently there were some there that said or thought that you could have faith, some kind of, some kind of faith, and at the same time, not follow Jesus with your life, with what you do. But faith like that, James says, he calls it a couple times in this text, he calls it dead faith. It's like a corpse. And we'll see again later, what James is like, what James is not, James is not worried that, his, that the listeners are not being good Christians. He's not worried that they're being bad Christians. Rather, James is concerned that some of his readers, some of his listeners, are living lives that reveal that deep down, what it's all coming from is a dead faith. There are two big words in this text. Maybe you caught it as we were reading. I said one of them already. There's two big words in this text, faith and works. And you, you, you can see works. You can't see faith. That's the thing. You can't see faith. Faith is like the wind. You can't see the wind. You can see the wind as it's fluttering through the trees. But if there's no rustling in the trees, there's no fluttering in the trees, what does that mean? It means that the wind is dead. And like the wind, James is saying that the internal, secret, invisible change that happens when we trust in Jesus, in our souls, that faith will be plainly on display to ourselves. It will be on display to others. It will be on display to God in our works, in our lives. Faith in Jesus works its way out into your life. You change. You're different. But if there is no rustling, if there is no works of love to God and others, then that means that that person's faith is dead. And James does not want this. That's why he's writing this text. He does not want this to be. So the big idea for this text today is that God saves us through faith in him. 
And if it's true that God saves us, we are saved by faith in him, then there are three points from our text today. God saves us through faith in him. So point one, we should have faith. Point two, we should have works. And point three, we should have faith that works. I think we can find all of this in our text today. So point one, we should have faith. Look with me in verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, this text, you, might, may, not, you may know, you may not know. It doesn't matter, though. It's a little controversial. And, um, and my experience, the con- hearing, you know, teaching on this, the, the controversy eclipsed what's actually being said here. And I don't think there's even, even reason for a controversy for this text. If you want to know what this controversy is, come to me afterwards. It's not that interesting. But come talk to me if you're interested. But one of the things that gets missed in this text, I think, is what does James say in this verse we just read? He says, what good is it? Or literally, what profit is it? Like, what good is it? What are you getting out of this? What good is in it for you, man or woman, if they say that they have faith but don't have works? And then he says this question. Can that faith save him? James's whole motivation here is summed up in this question. Can that faith, can a faith like that save him? Can a faith like that save her? James wants us to possess a faith that saves us. There's a faith that saves us. One of the outcomes, James says, of faith is what? Salvation. You get rescued. Is another word for salvation. You get a rescue. There's a faith that leads to a rescue. There's a faith that saves. And this faith is living and active. And this is good news. This is great news. You know the the word gospel? Gospel literally means good news. This is good news that faith saves us. Can you give us this faith? Um, This is the foundation of everything else that James says in the rest of our text, the rest of the whole letter. Faith saves. Our faith in Jesus saves. Now, what does it mean that faith saves us? Let's talk a minute about this as our foundation here. What What is a living faith that saves, and why is this good news? Why is this the gospel? Why is this good news? Um, I was listening. There's a guy named R.C. Sproul, a great teacher. His name is R.C. Sproul. And I was listening to one of his talks the other day, and he was talking about how he used to be a part of this group that would go around and do evangelism on the street. And him and this group, they'd walk up to people, and they'd ask them questions like this. They'd ask them, if you were to die today, do you think you would be permitted into heaven to be with God? And people would answer yes or no. And um, he said for the people that answered yes, that they thought that they would be able to go to heaven and be with God, he was often heartbroken at the follow-up question that he would ask them. So he would ask them, why? Why do you think that you are able to enter heaven? And these questions, these answers would break his heart. People would say, because I've tried to live a good life. People would say, I get to go to heaven and be with God because I've been a good person. Or I'm not a murderer or some other kind of totally wicked person. Or because I followed the golden rule. Or I get to go to heaven and be with God because I've done more bad things or more good things than bad things. My good things outweigh my bad things. It broke his heart, he said, to hear these kind of answers because none of these people were saved. None of these people had living faith. None of these people had faith that saved. They had a faith, but their faith was in what? Themselves. Their faith was in themselves that they could be good, that they could make it, that they could stand when they they get judged on the last day. We are all guilty. We're all on our own. If you're trusting in yourself, this is a dead faith 
that leads to destruction. The faith that James is talking about here is a faith that um, has given up hope in yourself. This faith gives up hope in yourself. And instead of trusting that you can make yourself right, instead of trusting that you can make yourself righteous before God, or instead of trusting that somehow you can live up or get out of this insecurity that all humanity, this universal insecurity that in the end you're not doing or being what you were made to be or do. Instead, you have put your trust in another to save you, to rescue you. Have you heard this phrase before? Um, I didn't like this phrase for a long time. I still take issue with it. But have you heard this phrase, um, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or a personal faith in Jesus Christ? I was always kind of confused about this. It didn't didn't sit right to me until I heard some – that's not what – what I thought it meant is not what it originally meant. So now when I heard this word – I thought it meant personal, meant like my own private, individual faith in Jesus Christ. My own private, individual, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As in like the opposite of personal is corporate or public. That's not what this, when we say like uh, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's not what this word means. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is what saves and a personal relationship with Christ, with Jesus Christ, is when you trust him as you would trust a person. That's what personal means. It's personal versus impersonal. You know, in Star Wars, there's this impersonal, the force, right? I love Star Wars. But there's a very impersonal force. You're just kind of trusting him and everything's going to be balanced somehow. Um, that's, that's impersonal trust. When I sit down in a chair, that's impersonal trust I'm, I'm giving to that chair. I'm trusting it's going to hold me up. But what the... What the the Bible gives us and shows us is that there is a personal, as you would trust a person, relationship with Jesus Christ, with Jesus. That as you trust your parents to take care of you, as you trust in your friends to not forsake you or not betray you, that's the kind of personal relationship that, that saves us. It's a personal trust where you trust that Jesus, who is now, now Jesus is now, right now, at this very moment, he is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, and his person in a body, he's going to come back. That's the person that we are trusting. We're trusting in a person. And parents and friends do forsake us. Even the best parents and friends, given the right, wrong circumstances, anyone can forsake us. Jesus will never forsake you. He knows you at your worst, and you, he still died for you. So you can trust him. Um, you can trust him as a person. He's done everything it takes to take the punishment for your sin. He took it on himself when you were at your worst, even the worst things that you've ever done. We trust him, this divine person, Jesus. Now, I've gotten to ask a lot of people kind of follow up with even this question. What do you mean you trust in Jesus? And like R.C. Sproul, this is a good question. If somebody says they trust in Jesus, ask them what they mean by that. Because often, even that seems pretty obvious, but even then, People will say, well, I can't do it on my own. Like, what does that mean? Like, they can't face the day? Like, it means, like, they can't face the day without thinking there's some higher power in charge. Uh, people say that they trust in God or they trust in Jesus. It means that they're, God's helping them be the best person they can be. And that's the first best me I can be. And that's not the gospel either. Uh, people say, well, I trust that if I do good things or live a good life, 
God's going to give me good stuff. That's what I mean when I say I trust in Jesus. All we, we just talked about that. That is, that's also not the gospel. That's bad news. It's called bad news. Um, if that's the whole of one's faith, then that's all dead faith. Because on what basis do we trust in his, in the kind of stuff we talked about in providing for us and working out all things for, for our good and his glory, um, in the assurance that we're rescued forever? What is the basis? How do we trust it? What's it all grounded in? It's grounded in the fact that Jesus made us right with God. That's where we get all these blessings and benefits from, is that God, Jesus had ma has made us right with God. We trust in him and all the blessing and benefits of those things flow. It starts with believing and trusting that Jesus has taken your sin and he's given you his righteousness and he has made you right with God and you didn't do it. We can't do it. It's impossible. You're not good enough. We're anti-God, naturally. We need to trust Jesus to take care of this big problem that we have. So we, <coughs> so we should have faith. We should have faith. We should have personal faith. We should also have works. This is James's second point. We should have works. Because God saves us through faith in him, we should have works. Look at verse 14 again. James writes, If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? The answer to this question, James is putting out there for you, answer is no, it cannot save you. He goes on in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is a corpse. It's dead. James gives, I love these quick absurd, absurd uh, um, illustrations that James gives. It's like if you have a, a brother or sister or friend, and they're poor, they're walking by, and they're cold, and they're hungry, and they're um, poor, cold, and hungry, and you respond with, hey, have a good one. You get something to eat now. <laughs> it's like the thinnest veneer, veneer of, of superficial kindness. You know, it's words, but there's nothing that actually proves that the, the heart is there that actually cares for you. It's the same thing with faith. Faith must be accompanied by works, or else it, it's a proof that it's dead. And dead faiths don't save. So if you've trusted in Jesus to take your sins, um, that's just the beginning of, of the things that we trust him for. You know, we, we're not just trusting in that and nothing else. We're not going to trust that he's, you know, he's taken the punishment for all my sins and then go sin and do whatever and then just do whatever I want without any regard for him being the Lord of my whole life. Um, now, what does James mean by works? When he says works, what does he mean? What do we mean? He's mentioned a lot of works in the letter so far. We've, we've been going through this whenever I have a chance to preach. Good works for James looks like bridling your tongue. It looks like listening and seeking to understand other people rather than getting angry at them or dismissing them. Um, it means visiting, listening to, and helping the oppressed in our communities. It means keeping yourself unstained from the world. It means not showing partiality toward people with power, but actually going toward people that don't have power. Faith in Jesus Christ will result in these things in your life. So an example. Last week, uh, we went to Liberty Park. We were walking around, and my four-year-old Mia exclaimed, Dad, look, Dad, I know which kind of tree this is. And it was one of those trees with the sign at Liberty Park. There's a sign at the bottom that tells you what kind of tree it is. And um, she can't, I mean, she's, uh, she was not looking at that, but I, it was good for me. So 
she walked over to the tree and I said, well, what kind of tree is it? And she said, it's an oak tree. It was very exciting, actually. And I said, well, how do you know it's an oak tree, Mia? And she, she pointed to the ground. It's carpeted with acorns. And she said, because of the acorns. <laughs> and sure enough, I looked at the sign. It was an oak tree. She was right. <laughs> now, and my wife was like, hey, that's a good sermon illustration. Just remember that. <laughs> uh, now, how did she know that it was an oak tree? How did she know it was a true living oak tree and not an elm tree and not an orange tree? It was because of the fruit. It was because it was producing acorns. Now, how do we know that we possess a true living faith? It's because our faith produces good works. Our faith, our true living faith, produces good works. James says it this way. I will show you my faith. I'll show you my invisible faith by works, by my visible works. I'll show you what's, what's really in here. We read a text earlier from Matthew 25 where Jesus is telling this parable where he describes his second coming. And he compares, he compares it to separating, part of it, to separating sheep and goats. Um, sheep and goats are all mixed up in the pasture, and they need to separate them for some reason. Maybe they're going to shear the, go- the sheep and, and do something to the goats. But they all look the same at a distance. So the shepherd needs to have them come in and get separated. Um, he has them on the right, on the left. Now, when this comes to like the reality, the, re- the historical thing that's actually going to happen, what this is talking about is when Jesus returns, what's going to be the difference between those who inherit the kingdom and those who inherit and receive eternal punishment? What's the difference in this story? One group showed mercy. They went out of their way toward the hungry, toward the thirsty, toward the stranger, toward the naked and the sick and those in prison. And the others didn't. That's the difference in Jesus' story here. That's the difference in much of James. Now, who are these people that uh, this, this, this people that get named out, the poor, the new, the, the strangers, the powerless, the outcasts? These are the unlovable people. These are the people that it's hard to love. It's costly to love these people. All the people that Jesus names here, it's costly to love them. We talked about this a little bit with the partiality. When we talked about partiality last time we um, were in James. Jesus, and this is all over James, this is one of <laughs> the litmus tests of if we have true living faith. This proves if you have living faith or not. How do you treat the unlovable? How do you treat the annoying? How do you treat the time sucks? How do you treat the people who getting involved with them feels like, and often when you actually do it, it's not, it's more of a blessing than anything. But it feels like getting involved in their life is going to drain me and drag me down. How do you treat people like that? This is the difference, Jesus says, James says, throughout his level, throughout his letter. This shows, this proves who will inherit the kingdom and who will inherit eternal punishment. How do we treat those that are costly to love? You could have, you know, you could have the best theology in the world. You could know all the books of the Bible in order. You could even pass a huge oral exam in front of 50 or 60 pastors in Nashville. Barely. (laughs) You could do that, too. Um, But guess what? Demons can do that, too. Demons have good theology. Demons know a lot about God. They probably know more. They know more about God than we do. The difference between us and demons is that demons don't trust in him. Right? Demons don't trust in him. They know a lot about him, 
You can know a lot about him, but do you trust in him? If you don't love the unlovable, if you only love those that can give you something back, your faith is dead. And such faith, can it save you? Good works are the evidence that your faith is a live faith and not a dead one. So because God saves us through faith in him, we should have faith and we should have works. And our last point, we should have faith that works. Look with me in verse 20. James writes, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, it's getting a little personal here. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he gives us two examples from the Old Testament, two Old Testament um, people, um, the accounts of their life. One of them is Abraham. We're not going to get too deep into these, but Abraham, um, he was called by God to offer his son Isaac on the altar. And in the original account in Genesis, and whenever he's spoken of in the New Testament, Abraham is shown to trust not only that God would take care of his sins, but Abraham didn't do whatever else God wants him to do. He didn't do whatever, whatever else God, that's the kind of trust that he has. His faith worked its way out and was shown in his work. The other example is Rahab. Rahab lived in Jericho. This is when the Israelites were being led by God in the wilderness. Rahab lived in Jericho, the city that was in rebellion against God, until one day spies came from the Israelites and they stayed at Rahab's house for some reason. And um, she had heard of this, the wondrous acts of God. And so when she saw these spies and heard them, she hid them because she knew that her city was next. She had heard what had happened to the Egyptians. She trusted that God was going to fulfill all of his promises to the Israelites. So what did she do? She hid the spies. And then later, when the city was destroyed, she was spared. She trusted in God personally. She did things differently because she trusted in God. And she was saved when the city was destroyed. Now, if everybody in the city had repented, they'd all been saved, but they didn't. Her faith worked its way out and was shown in her works. So when Abraham offered up his son, when Ahab, uh, Rahab concealed these spies, here was the proof that they had living faith in the one they said they had faith in. They walked their talk. Their faith worked its way out into their lives, and it was visible to all. Let me name here at the end three maybe places where this text applies in different ways to different people here. Um, first of all, if you would say that you're not a believer, or you would say that you realize that you possess a dead faith, maybe, after re hearing this text, where you thought maybe you had this general faith in God or trust in God, but it's actually not personal faith in Jesus Christ without a changed life. The good news of the gospel for you is this. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be saved from the consequences of all the evil you've done. Everything. Even that bad thing you've not told anybody about. Even that Jesus knows that too. And he, Jesus only dies for bad people. So don't wait to get your life back together. Jesus only dies for bad people like me. And where else are you going to go with your guilt? Where else can, there's nowhere else to go with your guilt. What are you going to do? There's this place in John 6 that I love, in John uh, chapter 6, where all but Jesus' closest friends are deserting him. And he turns to them, the 12 disciples, and he says to them, in verse 67, he says, do you want to go away as well? As all these people are leaving, and the disciples are just standing there, the 12 disciples. Simon Peter, answering for the 12, answered them, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
And we believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's like, Jesus, who else are we supposed to go to? You've got a lot of stuff that sounds really crazy. It's going to take us some time here, Jesus, but we trust you. We're down for this adventure of trusting you. We entrust ourselves to you, Jesus. Whatever you say, we're down. Jesus is trustworthy. Will you trust him? Come, come join us in this adventure of entrusting ourselves to Jesus. Um, second, to our to brothers and sisters here, to Christians, um, this text reminds us that we are to talk about and we are to lead people to Jesus, not to good works. What I mean by this is that it's, it's often we have like pet peeve kind of things, that moral issues. It could be um, I have a friend who's really all about um, um, the inerrancy of the Bible. This is his thing. I have another friend who's all about Genesis is the six-day creation. This is it. This is like, it's almost like this is the gospel, the gospel of the inerrancy of the Bible, the gospel of six-day creation. Um, but what are we winning to people toward here? Those are all good things. I mean, those are all good things. Like, are, are we winning people toward these things or are we winning people toward Jesus, right? Um, for example, trying to get an unbeliever, for example, to be sexually chaste, to follow historical Christian teaching on sex and gender. This is like trying to staple acorns to an apple tree to make it an oak tree, right? Good works aren't, good works don't make, give faith. Good works don't save. It's personal faith in the divine person, Jesus Christ. Um, Jummy and I were talking about this recently. Um, several years ago, we, it was me and her and her sister. Her sister was not a Christian. And we were reading the Bible together. We were at a place in our relationship where we could read the Bible together and talk about it. And um, we, we were reading uh, someplace from John, and she's, we were talking about the darkness, and she said, I'm living in the darkness. And, you know, part of me wanted to be like, stop living in the darkness. Stop doing bad things. <laughs> But we, but we didn't. We were just like, okay, what, is, what do you think, how do you think Jesus meets you there? What do you think Jesus meets you there? And Jesus, let, we let her just sit with that and didn't push it. I think one of the reasons, and now, I mean, she's a Christian now, but we didn't like push, like, there's a part of me that wants to take the Holy Spirit's job and convict the people of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We just love them, y'all. It's awesome. We just get to have the adventure of getting to know people that are very different from us and get in their lives and let them feel, smell, see Jesus as we love them. And they'll ask you questions. They know you. They know we don't approve of their lifestyle, right? They know it. We don't have to like tell them. Just love them. If they ask you, tell them what you believe. So, don't win. Pe don't try. Don't win people over to dead faith and dead things. It's Jesus that gives life. Third, you may be hearing this, and you may be thinking, dude, Ben, I know I trust in Jesus, but I can't really point to anything radical in my life like Abraham or Rahab that proves it. Now, first of all, these two people, God brought these situations on these two people, and I hope I'd rather not have this thing happen to them happen to me personally. Um, but God brought that onto them into their lives, these crazy things. What if faith in Christ is maybe something that you I just haven't drawn on yet. Or what if it's something that is very ordinary? What if, for you, living personal faith that works looks very ordinary? What if it looks like not cheating on your exam, even though you know you're going to fail? <laughs> right? 
some people think, oh, I know I'm going to fail this exam, so I have to cheat, right? But what if we just don't cheat and we fail? Does Jesus still got you? Is he happy that you trusted him? Yes, absolutely. What if because you got served by Jesus, serving the children here by committing yourself to volunteering in the nursery? What if you're like, this is what Jesus, Jesus served me. I will serve others as parents and children. What about um, looking out for the, you were a stranger from God and Jesus came and he found you. What if, what if you look out for the stranger in your job? What if you look out for the stranger in your school? What if you look out for the stranger in the church and make them feel welcome? Make this outsider feel like an insider the first time you meet them. What about apologizing? You know, when we come to Jesus, we, got, we say, I got nothing, Jesus. I got nothing but these sins. Like, if you can do this and say, my life is a complete waste and I'm an evil person and I need you to forgive me, how easy should it be to, to apologize to other people for the little things we've done to them in, compar- in comparison, right? There are some Christians who go their whole life and they never apologize to anyone. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you are someone like this. Find somebody to apologize and ask Jesus for help here. Let's, our tru- look, notice how your trusting in Jesus leads to actually physical things that you actually say and do. Um, how about giving your money away? How about if you've never given your money away, commit to giving away some percent of your money. If you think this church preaches the gospel, if you think this church leads people toward Jesus, then give it to this church. If not, I don't know why you're here, but if not, <laughs> give it somewhere else that really helps people and glorifies God. And you know what's going to happen? Here's, what, here's what's going to happen. If you start giving your money away, you know what you're going to get? Poorer. You're going to be poorer. But Jesus has got you. Jesus has got you. He's got you on the cross for all your sins. He's going to get you for this as we trust him. CPC, you trust in the Lord of glory. And Jesus has got you. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended for you. And right now, we are united to him, the person Jesus Christ in heaven. What does he have for you to do for him today or this week? Let's pray. Father, we pray that thank you so much for this text, and we thank you for saving us when we were sinners. Um, Father, show us ways that we can serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, today or this week, that our faith in him to save us from our sins would lead to loving other people and loving you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.